Welcome back, my fellow creatives, to Story Cuppings. We are approaching the end of my reading recommendations and the beginning of something I'd like to do for the next number of weeks, and that is to taste, to sip, as you will, from the stories of fellow indie writers. And it's exciting to use today, to use this episode, as a way of transitioning that. For the indie writer Jason Savin um, reached out to me uh, and I was really excited to hear from him. I brought up doing an interview, which will be coming in September. And also, you know, he mentioned, hey, I have this little collection of work here if you want to take a look at it. And I thought that would be wonderful because that's the thing. I, I don't want to just read mainstream work here on Story Cuppings. I want to sip from indie writers too. And, and if you yourself or an indie writer, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to uh, enjoy a bit of your work here on this podcast. And who knows, we could even just try and do an interview on my website, Jean Lee's World. That would be awesome. So today, uh, it's Jason Savin's Beyond the Elven Gate, uh, a trilogy of works. And what this is, is it's two short stories longer short story, on the longer end of short stories. And then there is also um, a unique chapter where he put together, make sure I have the title, title correctly, A Treatise on the Evolution of the Fairy. So that is something I invite you to read on your own, that third selection. I thought it would be fun to focus on the fiction here. And so we will take little sips from the beginnings of the two short stories in this book Beyond the Elven Gate, uh, The Adoptling and Beyond the Elven Gate. So let us begin with The Adoptling. He really was a beautiful child. Everyone who met him was always quick to point it out. It was a fact. His copper-colored hair, when hit by the morning sun, would make him look like he was wearing a golden crown. And his eyes, ah, those eyes, they were a striking yet piercing blue. And what dark thoughts lay behind them can only now be guessed. Now that's quite the whacker of a first paragraph right there. And the reason I say that was because we have such a a juxtaposition, I think would be my right term here. Uh, we have this on the outside, on the physical appearance, um, all the all the marks of a beautiful creature with the crown-like hair and the blue sky eyes here. And yet there are dark thoughts, dark thoughts. But who's going to say that of a kid right away? So it makes us wonder who is this narrator that this is being spoken of. Let's keep going to find out who this narrator is. For a three-year-old, he was very quick and almost lithe and graceful in movement, taking longer strides than toddlers of the same age. 
When interacting with others, he seemed quite intelligent, lacking the gimme, gimme, gimme attitude of some of his young peers. But his speech was sadly lacking, giving us real concern. We were told that it might be developmental delay. They also said that maybe he was on the autistic spectrum, but really it was too early to tell. So pause again. We are getting a clear sense then that the narrator here was a parent, one of two that was taking care of this child. But we don't know who, what, what parent. We don't know if this is a mother or a father. Let's find out. But we hoped and prayed, literally I prayed, that he would be all right, that he was just a little slow and would catch up later. But don't get me wrong, he wasn't mute. On the contrary, he was very verbal. The noises he made sounded like the garblings of an alien race, we so often joked. What a pathetic joke that now seems. Sometimes I hate myself for being so naive back then and so blind to the truth. A truth that only me and Joe dare to believe. Although I'm not sure if Joe only pretends to believe me, not wanting to destroy me anymore. If only our little boy would come back. Our life is so very empty now. I remember when they first handed him to me. He was only a baby, wrapped in a pale blue woolen blanket that had been knitted by a friend of the hospital. How anyone could abandon a child that small and delicate, I'll never, I'll never understand. They used to call these children foundlings back in the Victorian days. I've always liked that term. It sounds so much nicer than abandoned. They said he'd been found in the woods, all alone, silent, and wide-eyed. He'd been found by a dog, walked, dog walker, apparently. Although I don't know what breed of dog can sniff out babies. But I suppose if he'd been wearing one of his usual stinky baby nappies, any old dog could have sniffed, sniffed him out. In those early days, me and Joe used to watch his every move. The first time he crawled, his first steps. We were the happiest parents alive. I remember seeing the tears of joy in Joe's eyes the first time the baby clutched his finger. We were both won over at that very moment. We were a real family. We'd had a tough few years, but that wasn't important anymore. Not now that we had our own little pride and joy. So I'll pause here. We clearly are getting a lot of the emotional stakes with this narrator and just how crucial the child was in our narrator's life and the thing is though we know by the sound by the tone of the first paragraph and then at the bottom of the second paragraph that the child is not there the boy is missing and that's the thing we're, we're not clear yet as of yet if the boy died, boy was taken. If something with the adoption process went awry and they don't have the child anymore, because we don't, that, that's an interesting thing with a narrator like this, and especially with the, the caring parent narrator, which I mean, Hey, I, I, I've done this kind of narrator myself with my short story, the hungry mother, because love, I don't want to say tainted love, first of all, because isn't that an 80s song? But second of all, um, love can do amazing things to a person and also horrible things to a person. So 
the fact that that first paragraph has and what dark thoughts lay behind them can only now be guessed. It still makes me question this narr this parent narrator, because again, love, love does strange things to people. And, you know, what did this parent do that this child is now gone? I'm suspicious. Because we don't want to automatically think there's something wrong with a kid. We're going to look at the parent first. So let's see. Let's see if we can catch a little more before we move on to the next short story. Let me... You know what? Let's move. I'm going to skip that one paragraph. Let's go to this paragraph. I'll never forget that night. The night he went away. I go over it in my mind over and over again to see if there was anything I could have done differently. I was kneeling beside the fireside, idly feeling the warmth on my skin. He was standing in the corner next to his toys. He'd been doing it more and more lately, just standing, watching me. He'd never been particularly affectionate. So I would usually just let him play by himself, giving him some space. He seemed a lot more comfortable being by himself. Although it made me feel a little uneasy the way he would watch me. But whenever I approached him, he would withdraw into his own little world. So it seemed better to just leave him alone. That evening he started singing. I'd never heard him sing before, or indeed make any vocal sounds that were anything like singing. Was it something that he knew that he'd learned at nursery? It was very happy, melodic sort of sound, but with no words that I recognized. I wanted to praise him, but didn't want to interrupt his song. It was otherworldly in sound and kind of almost high-pitched, but really quite indescribable. I got quite lost in the sound. It sounds silly when I mention it now, but I felt like I was in a trance that had been induced by his singing. I woke from my reverie to realize that it had suddenly got darker, much darker. Maybe there were rain clouds overhead blocking out the sunlight, and then I realized what had brought me from my trance. It was a scratching sound at the back window. It was only faint at first, but steadily it got louder and more determined. I wanted to see what it was, but somehow my body had frozen. And I'll stop there because I want to move on to the next story. Um, but we are clearly getting a sense that there is definitely something off with this foundling. And the narrator in question is alone with the foundling. And so what is is going to happen i'm not telling you're gonna have to read it ha. <laughs> but it's it's a well-paced bit of short fiction and it's a great reminder to me as well that it's you know for us writers especially when you're doing short stories you have to cover so much in such a tight space especially when it comes to emotional investment as well as plot and character development and here we are getting that sense you know the mother's uh, a woman's desperation i should say for uh for motherhood and the elation of having that wish fulfilled and the desperation of having that wish fulfilled again when the child is gone so what happened 
to that child. And you'll have to read the rest of the story to find out. Let's move to the other short story in this book. And that is Beyond the Elven Gate. I didn't notice him at first, not in the dark, but how industriously he worked all the time muttering under his breath as he carefully brushed the fallen leaves from his doorstep. Now I've walked past there hundreds of times before, but I've never once noticed any sort of doorway within that tall, thick, leafy hedge at number 52. He was a little man, probably about knee high, and dressed all in green with a cloak around his shoulders, sporting a long, slim brown beard. Once he'd finished brushing, he took his broom inside before returning shortly after with a tiny bucket and a small hand brush. He knelt down quickly and started scrubbing clean the wide tree stump, which acted like a doorstep into his world beyond. Well, that's kind of neat. I like that. You know, there that's the fun thing when you when being a being the Wisconsinite that I am, uh, there are so many neat little patches of wilderness that uh, are tucked in between farms or even tucked between small towns, and it's just this isolated little island of wild in 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 amidst the cornfields and uh, the little county highways, and you just wonder what could be in there. And sometimes that little bit of wild is right on the edge of the our towns as well. It's like, what's what's in there? What's going on there? And it's fun to see, you know, a little piece of that wild inside the setting of this story and how, you know, something was living inside it. Let's keep going. It was a warm evening, being the last day of April, sometime around midnight. And as I said, I didn't notice him at first. It was Fudge who saw him. I thought he'd just seen a cat or someone in the distance, because Fudge just loves to stand and stare. He was the noisiest dog I've ever known, and I've had many dogs throughout my 73 years. He was a golden Yorkie, which is a type of Yorkshire Terrier, but completely light golden brown in color. It was a neighbor's little boy who'd named him Fudge due to his coloring, and the name stuck. I was walking him for an impromptu sit-down job as he was desperate to go for a nighttime walk and wouldn't allow himself the indignity of pooing in his own garden. Yeah, I've, I've seen that with dogs too. I was dressed in my blue, blue nylon dress... Sorry. I was dressed in my blue nylon dressing gown on top of my old faded granddad-style stripy blue pajama bottoms, fully slippered, hoping and praying that no one would see me. It was then that I became aware of the little man. And as he worked away in that dark corner of the street, it was only due to Fudge's persistent staring and then me desperately trying to peer through the darkness to see what on earth he could be looking at that I finally did see him. Although I think I heard him muttering before I could make him out, I don't think he realized that we were there. Which is understandable considering it's midnight. But anyway... Uh, as we stood there staring, a warm, comforting breeze gently blew across my bare ankles, as well as down the front of my dressing gown, onto my naked chest beneath. I didn't want to move. And Fudge was of the same mindset as me. He didn't want to return home either, for we were both so fascinated in who this little creature was. Plus, I thought if I did take my eyes off the little man, he might just disappear, and who would believe that I'd ever saw him? The little fellow went back inside. And Fudge was even more curious than me, so he pulled on his lead to cross the street. I cautiously followed him across. We started peering through that round, leafy gateway into the shadowy darkness beyond. It wasn't long before we heard what sounded like the gentle pit-a-pat of mild rainfall. 
but it wasn't coming from the sky. It was coming from within the dark depths of the tunnel and moving closer towards us. Pit-a-pat, pit-a-pat, it went. We strained our eyes to peer into the shadows, for we were too curious to move away, yet part of us felt too frightened to stay. Pit-a-pat, pit-a-pat. The noise was now almost on top of us. Suddenly, from out of the darkness, heading right towards us was a galloping cavalcade of little men on horseback. We were both terrified and mesmerized in equal measure. I quickly stepped back, pulling Fudge away from the entrance. Then suddenly I heard a scream. Or maybe it could be better described as a screech, as that first little man pointed from within the shadowy tunnel. It wasn't overly loud, but the sound went right through me. It was the sort of noise that when I heard it, it reminded me of an unnerving screaming sound that I'd once heard in a nightmare from my childhood many years before. Yeah, I don't know what's happening yet. I mean, we've clearly got um, the border between worlds is very thin indeed here. And we don't know if our narrator has stumbled it on something he should not have. Well, I guess that would go without saying. We don't know if the narrator has stumbled into something bad that he should not have seen or if this is something he's going to get away with. Because as uh, when it comes to... Um, Elven Gates and, and the fairy, um, you know, not everything turns out <laughs> as we learned in Adopling in that in the previous short story. So he's hoping that everything turns out okay with our narrator. Uh, we'll read a little further here. The riders, thus being warned of our presence, kept coming, galloping out of the entrance and riding around us, so we were completely surrounded. Being on horseback meant that they reached up to my waist. It was a completely surreal situation looking down on those tiny warriors. Fudge started growling. Being a small dog meant that his face was up to the neck of those little horses. And with terriers like him being historically bred to attack rats, I was worried that he would jump up and bite them by the throat. So I held him tightly by his lead. But how hard he pulled, for he was very protective, snarling and growling all the time. All but one of the horsemen were blonde of hair and clad in green, wearing short tunics on top of trousers. Brown belts gripped their waists from which hung leather scabbards to house their little swords. Their leader was a distinguished-looking man wearing a slim golden crown upon his head, which helped to hold his shoulder-length blonde locks in place, whilst his mid-length rounded beard sat high upon his chest. The cuffs and hem of his green tunic were trimmed with a golden thread in a zigzag pattern, and his green cloak, which was also fringed with that same golden thread was kept securely in place by a shiny golden brooch fastened firmly at his right shoulder. I'm getting a lot of detail here. I want to see what happens next. Aha! The king's going to start talking to the guy. Oh, man! Okay. Um, and uh-oh. They want oh <gasps> I can't tell you what's happening. You're going to have to read it. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, um, but yes, the crowned fellow, the crowned little man is going to start talking to our narrator. And I can't tell you what he's going to say. So uh, when it comes to short stories, again, we have to make sure that we are keeping things paced and moving along and, and make every sentence count. Um, and, and granted when we ourselves are publishing our stories, we have a little leeway 
you know, with how long our fiction, be it short or novella or novel. I mean, that's, that was my fun with writing Knight's Tooth, um, that um, historical fantasy novella, because at first I was going to make it a short story. And then before you knew it, it was 30 some pages long of just draft. And it's like, oh, I guess we're going to keep going with this and turn it into something else. And clearly here, um, Jason is able to uh, utilize the short fiction structure to keep the stories moving tightly along, um, focusing on one care, one protagonist's interaction with the fantasy realm, with the elven realm. Um, and I think that worked very well I should say with the fairy realm, sorry, but that worked very well in his favor as a writer um, because he's able to give very detailed accounts of those interactions without trying to bog us down too much with exposition and world building of all the second stringer characters and whatnot that really don't play into that core conflict. So, I dig this and I hope you will too. Um, like I said, Beyond the Elven Gate is an, uh, is by Jason Savin, who's an indie writer and it's on Amazon and I'll make sure I have the link here. And I'm looking forward to sharing more indie writers over the coming weeks with you here on Story Cuppings because, oh, there are so, so many storytellers to sip from and savor. And so I hope you will join me here next time to see what I find next. Uh, until then, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers.